Hello, thanks for listening to the Summit Church Hazard podcast. Today we're kicking off a brand new series called Exiles in Babylon. And the first part of the series is called The Ways of Babylon. Let's dive in. I want you to go ahead and grab a Bible and open it up to the book of Daniel today. All right. We're going to be in a series in the book of Daniel for the next couple of weeks uh, here. And and I want to say something. So maybe you're familiar with the book of Daniel a little bit. Daniel has a lot of prophecy in it. It's, uh, you know, it's what's called apocalyptic literature. We are not going to talk about that because we went through the book of Revelation. Remember going through the book of Revelation and, and Revelation always is calling you back to Daniel. So a lot of what starts to happen in Daniel 7 later on, we've talked about it in the series in Revelation. You want to dig into that, all of the Revelation sermons and resources, everything we did in the book of Revelation for 12 weeks leading up to Christmas, all on our website. You can find it all on our app. It's all over the place. So so dig into that. But we're going to be in the book of Daniel all through the month of February as we're kicking off this brand new series today called Exiles in Babylon. I was thinking about where we're going to go today and what we're doing as we begin this journey. And I started to think about some data that's come out in the past couple of years about the church, the state of the church and Christianity in America and in the West. In 2011, listen to this for a second. In 2011, there was a research project They wanted to figure out how many young adults, people who are fresh out of college that had a church background, how many of those young adults either dropped out of church for a season or completely dropped out, never went back. These people, they grew up in church. Maybe they were a part of a youth group, but they dropped out for a little bit or just completely never went back. In 2011, the percentage of young adults who dropped out of church for a season, never went back, was 59%. Ten years later, so now it's, closer to, now it's closer to us, okay? Ten years later, they said, hey, let's check it again, see if anything changed. So ten years later, after 2011, they went back, same thing, just different people, different group, young adults, right out of college, church background. How many have dropped out for a season or have never and have no plans to come back? And in ten years, that number went from 59% to 64%. In 2020, I've used this stat before, you might have heard it, in 2020, church attendance in America for the very first time since they've been keeping track went below 50% so that now church attendance in America is at 47%. Today, right now today, February 6, 2022, 63% of Americans claim to be a Christian. That is down from 75% just a decade ago. There's a group uh, called the Barna Group. They do a lot of research on trends happening in Christianity, the church. And they did some research in April, May 2020, okay? So get April, May 2020 in your mind. That was early days of the pandemic. There was a lot of still questions, you know, we had. And, and that was right in the middle of lockdown. Our church was locked down. Most churches, honestly, were locked down. The Barna Group discovered that in April, May 2020, one in three Christians had completely dropped out of church. They'd stopped watching their church or any church online. They'd completely disconnected from any church, even the one maybe they were faithful to before the pandemic, in any way, shape, or form. One in three Christians. They also discovered that because of the impact that lockdowns and the pandemic may have had on 
physical churches, on church gatherings, churches like ours, they discovered that they, that they think that one in five churches may permanently close because of COVID and its impact on the church. Now, I could keep going with statistics like that, but I feel at this point you're sufficiently encouraged, right? And, but here's what I want to do. Listen, I really could. I've got all kinds, of, I could, I've got all kinds uh, of other stats. I could keep going at least for another hour, hour and a half. But here's what I would say, and I'll say it right now after everything that I just said to you. I can say to you in the face of everything that I just said, everything that says, man, it looks like the church is a sinking ship. I can say to you and look you straight in the eye and mean with 100% integrity that I am absolutely convinced in light of everything that I just said, the future of the church has never been brighter than it is right now. Now here's the deal. If you think that the purpose of the church is to get America back to quote the good old days or sometime when you think America was more moral, more religious than it is right now, if that's what you think the church is supposed to do, you should absolutely be terrified. You should absolutely lose all your sleep. You shouldn't be able to sleep ever again. You should lose your ever-loving mind. I just came to encourage you today. All right? But it, no kidding. If you think that's the purpose of the church, to restore this country back to the, quote, good old days, you should be horrified. But if you would root yourself in the story of the Bible... If you would say go to the book of Acts and then look around at the world that we live in, what you might discover is the culture that we live in looks more and more like the culture did when Christianity first started. See, a lot of you here and a lot of you watching online, you're used to what's called a Christian culture. And in a Christian culture, uh, we did this in the 930, virtually every person raised their hand. We're going to do it right here. In a Christian culture, most people go to church. How many of you, just by, a raise, just by raising your hands, how many of you say, remember a time when most people you know went to church? Would you raise your, put your hand up high and leave it for a second? Okay, put your hand up high. Look at that. A lot of people, most people in the room, if you're watching online, most people in the room have their hand up. Thank you. You can put your hand down. See, in a Christian culture, most people go to church, and, and going to church is culturally acceptable. So you may not even be, be a Christian, but everybody goes to church. In a Christian culture, if you're a businessman, going to church may help your business. If you're running for local office, it may help you politically. In a Christian culture, you can walk up to somebody at Walmart or on the street and say, hey, I'm a Christian. And they might look at you and say, well, that's great. I am too. They wouldn't think less of you. They wouldn't think that that's a negative term. But more and more, we live in what people are calling a post-Christian culture. Now, a post-Christian culture is where Christianity more and more is in the rearview mirror. Something we used to do, but we're, we're trying to get it off of us because we think, the world tells us, that Christianity is restrictive. It's holding us back. And so maybe it used to have a purpose, but now Christianity is something that hurts you. And you need to get it off. And so we live in a world where people are going to church seemingly less and less. You walk up to somebody now and maybe you tell them that you're a Christian and they might instantly judge you, that you're a bigot, that you're filled with hate, you're intolerant, and all you've said is that you are a Christian. More and more we live in a post-Christian culture. And so what we're going to do in this series 
is we're going to try to answer the question, how do we live for Jesus in a world that's going the opposite direction? How do we live for Jesus in a world where being a Christian, where following Jesus, y'all, it's going to cost you more than help you. Amen? Hello? Right? How do you follow Jesus in a world that says stop? How do you follow Jesus? How will your great, 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 great grandkids follow Jesus generations from now when the world is still going the opposite direction? How do you do that? How do you follow Jesus when you're used to being in the majority of culture, when you're used to a Christian culture? And see, in the majority, man, it's comfortable. We feel like we've got all the influence, all the power. Everybody likes us. But you and I, we live in a world where we are going from the majority to the minority. And some of you, some of the church, maybe you're watching online, this is how you think. Oh my gosh, we've never been here before. The church has never been the minority. We've always had the majority influence in the culture. And if that's you, I would just lovingly say to you today, y'all, read your Bible. There is a book in the Bible where the people of God are the minority and they thrive. And that book is the book we're going to focus on in the month of February, and it's the book of Daniel. If you ain't found Daniel 1 already, man, they ain't got no hope. I don't know how to help you find Daniel 1 if you ain't found it. I feel like I gave you a truckload of time. Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read the first seven verses, all right? First seven verses of Daniel 1. Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, excuse me, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among those were chosen some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. Now, let's stop right there this morning. Now, that probably didn't make a lot of sense, so we got to bring some Old Testament into what we're doing here today. Daniel is part of the people of God known as the people of Judah. So by the time you get to this point in the Old Testament, the Israelites have split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Northern is Israel. Southern is Judah. Judah begins to worship other gods. That leads them to becoming slaves or exiles in the nation of Babylon. Babylon comes into Judah, captures all of, the, all of God's people of Judah, the Israelites, captures all of them. In that group, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, four people that you, if you're familiar with the Bible a little bit, have likely heard of. Now, Babylon 
is something that you need to know about in the Bible. In the Old Testament, Babylon is the enemy of God's people. All right, First time they really show up is in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. Remember that story, right? So the Tower of Babel is basically this monument built to the idea that humanity can do whatever it wants. Tower of Babel was this massive monument saying humanity came together to say, hey, listen, we can do whatever we want as long as we set our minds to it and try hard. We don't need God or anybody else. Now, thankfully, nobody believes that anymore. Oh, come on. See, in the night, I feel, I feel like that was bad. Never mind. Never mind. It's too late, man. It's too late. But, so they build this tower devoted to the idea, we don't need God. We can do whatever we want ourselves. And all through the Old Testament, man, Israel, Babylon, Judah, Babylon, they are always butting heads. And the culture of Babylon remember this, is devoted to the worship of self. Babylon is devoted to the worship of self. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, one of the most powerful emperors that Babylon ever had, leads Babylon into Judah. They take Judah, the people of God, Israelites, they take them captive, bring all of them out of Jerusalem into the Babylonian land. God's people, Judah, will be slaves in Babylon for 70 years. They are strangers in a strange land. They are in a place where they do not want to be. And in the middle of that are four teenagers. Y'all listen. Four teenagers are going to lead the way in this series and show us how to walk with God when the world says don't walk with God. Four teenagers, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four young men, these four teen, they were literally teenagers. These four teenagers are going to model us, how do you be faithful to God when faithfulness costs you more than help you? But what we're going to do today is more of an introduction. Every single week in this series, beginning next week, we're going to look at the lives of these four guys and, and get characteristics. How can we walk faithfully in the world that we live in because that, what their world looks a lot like our world. But here's what we're doing today. Today is an introduction. You've got to understand some things about Babylon. So hopefully you're here. Hopefully you're watching online and you're awake, you're alert, you're leaned in because we're really going to dig in today. Here's the first thing that you've got to understand as we move into this new series, and it's simply this, that we are in Babylon. You and I today, right now in 2022, we are in Babylon. So Daniel and his friends, they are literally in Babylon. It's a place you could go to. You fast forward to the New Testament, something weird begins to happen. In the Old Testament, Babylon is a place. But in the New Testament, Babylon is a spirit. So the book of 1 Peter, it's not going to be on the screen. 1 Peter is a letter from Peter to these churches, and, and they're being persecuted, they've been kidnapped, and they're scattered from their families, from their churches, from their homeland, and they're going through a really horrible time, uh, really. And Peter writes this letter to try to encourage them. And out of nowhere, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, he's closing out the letter, and Peter gives this really odd closing. Actually, no Bible scholar knows exactly what he means, all of it. But out of nowhere, Peter closes out his letter by saying this phrase, to she, probably the church, to she who is in Babylon. Now they read that and they think, well, we're not in Babylon. And Peter says, physically, I know you're not, but spiritually, you are. 
Now, if you remember back to our series in Revelation, remember, Babylon was all over the book of Revelation. Anybody remember that? Right? Babylon in the book of Revelation, John is always talking about it. And here's what he says. In the book of Revelation, Babylon is a spirit that wants to grab your heart, grab your mind, grab your affections, grab the things that you love. And it wants to do whatever it can to shape you into somebody that worships self instead of God. Babylon is willing to use whatever it can to get you and I to show up to church on Sunday, sing the songs, profess Jesus, but really we are looking like something that don't look like Jesus. Babylon is willing to do whatever it takes so you can show up here and you can watch online, but we look more like the world and less like Jesus. So in Revelation, we saw that Babylon is willing to use political power. It's willing to use politicians from the right or the left to say to you, hey, listen, the politicians will take care of you. The politicians will save you. The Babylon is willing to use things in the culture that we watch, that we read, that we listen to, to shape the way that we think, to shape our values, to shape the way that we live. Listen, this is so ingrained in the culture It's so much the air that we breathe that I could show up on Sunday and sing all the songs, but if you were able to look in my heart of heart, what I really think will save me is more money. Another way that John talks about Babylon is John calls it the world. So John will say stuff like this, do not love the world. Don't love the world. And he doesn't mean like the physical world. He doesn't mean like the grass and the sky. He doesn't mean like people. John is talking about a system That's built on getting you to live and think and act as if God's not real. You can show up to church every Sunday, but what you're really thinking is going to save you is the politicians, this world. Look at what it promises. Look at what it says it can give me. So we're really hoping and living for something else other than Jesus. This is why at some point in Revelation, it's going to be on the screen here, I think. In one point in Revelation, John just has to stop Revelation 18.4, and he says to the church, come out of her. Come out of who? Babylon. Come out of Babylon, my people, the church, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. God is saying through John, listen, Summit, you've got to understand that Babylon is this spiritual reality that's going to let you show up to church on Sunday, but through the week, maybe even while you're here or you're watching online, something else is taking force in your life. You've got to understand that we live in a world that is actively working against you following Jesus. This is why if we go back to the book of 1 Peter, what Peter says over and over as the name for the church is that we are exiles. That we live in this world, it looks like Babylon, looks more like what Daniel and his friends experienced. And in this world, you and I, we're exiles. Do you know what an exile is? Let me give you a definition. This definition's on the screen uh, it's definitions from Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. What a cool last name, Brueggemann. Man, I love it. Ah, oh, it's great. All right, listen to this definition. This is what an exile is. Being in exile is the experience of knowing that one is an alien. And perhaps even in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own. You tell me, does that feel like the world you live in? 
Somebody, anybody, some of you shaking your head, yeah, does anybody relate to that? Does it feel like, as a follower of Jesus, that the world we live in is running counter to your values? Do you know why it feels that way? Look at me, look at me. Do you know why it feels that way? Because this world is not your home. You are not first an American. You are a follower of Jesus who happens to be in America today. But no matter where we find ourselves, whether it's America, Africa, Asia, this world is not our home. We, spiritually, we're in Babylon. Physically, you're in Hazard, but spiritually, we're in Babylon. Physically, you're in Perry County. You're in Kentucky. You're in America. Spiritually, we are in Babylon. Now, here's what you need to know. Here's the second thing we've got to see that Daniel shows us. God is still God in Babylon, okay? So y'all are like, listen, this is the most depressing sermon he's ever given. He's usually not like this. Usually a little bit more pep in his step. Oh my gosh, what's going on? God is still God in Babylon. Here, I'm going to bring you back in right here. God is still God in Babylon. I love what Daniel does here. Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come in. They take God's people captive. And Daniel says, listen, this didn't just happen to us. God's going to use this. The Lord delivered God's people into the hands of the Babylonians. Daniel believes Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. He believes Ephesians 1, 11, that God's able to work all things according to the counsel of his will. Listen to me, everybody online, everybody in the room. God does not need Babylon to acknowledge God for God to be God. God is still God in Babylon. Can I just tell you, God does not need America to acknowledge God for God to be God. God is God all by himself. Amen? God is not waiting for this world to give him a permission slip to rule the universe. God already rules the universe. Jesus is not waiting for this world to give him permission so that all things can be under his feet and and Jesus' name can be the name over all names. Listen, Jesus' name is above all names right now this morning. It doesn't matter who says it or who's against it. Jesus is who he is. He doesn't need any help. He doesn't need any permission. God is still God in Babylon. Amen? Man, we need to get off Facebook. We need to turn off the news for a while and get our perspective back from the Word of God. Y'all, the kingdom is still coming. Online, if you missed it, revival just broke out. It was amazing what just, man, right? Let me just read you some verses here. I love Psalm 2, 1 to 4. It's going to be on the screen. Why are nations so angry? Now, doesn't that sound like 2022? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. I mean, the image is a culture that's trying to get away from God so we can do whatever we want. Happens then, happening right now. Here's God's response. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. So here we are, and everything looks like it's losing its mind, and the world seems like it's falling apart. What are we going to do? Oh, my goodness, do you know what God's doing? God is laughing. Here's what the past two years have shown us. The past two years, if we've learned anything, you can take the smartest people, you can make, take the most powerful leaders in the world, you can put them all in a room. They will all come out of that room one hour later more confused than they were when they went in. 
That's what we've learned in the past two years. What we've learned in the past two years is if God is not God, we're toast. Right? It's that simple. It's that simple. Right? Listen, God is still God in Babylon. Jesus is still over all things. God has not given the church a spirit of fear. God is still God today. God is alive today, and God is for us today. So you got to understand something. We, spiritually speaking, we are in Babylon. This world is working against you following Jesus. But God is God in Babylon. But here's where we got to end. You have to know Babylon's strategy. You've got to know the strategy that Babylon, this world that we're in, has. You've got to know Babylon's strategy. And we see it right here in the book of Daniel. They take Daniel and his three friends, and for three years, it says, chapter 1, we read it. For three years, they begin to take Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through a retraining program. They begin to teach them the language of Babylon, it said. They begin to teach them the literature and the ways of Babylon. It gets down so deep, they even try to change the way that they eat. We'll talk more about that next week. And they try to give them, verse 6 and 7, new names, which speaks to a brand new identity. Here's what they're trying to do. They are trying to get the Israelite out and put the Babylon in. They are trying to disciple to shape, to form the heart, the mind, the imagination, the lives of Daniel and the people of Judah so that they look more like a Babylonian and less like the people of God. And some, listen to me, Babylon's strategy has not changed. That is still the strategy it has right now. If you're taking notes, write this down. The spirit of Babylon wants to disciple you, shape you into its ways instead of the ways of Jesus. So there's some of you here, there's some of you, you're watching online, and you are being discipled by social media. And you are coming to church, and you profess Jesus, and you're saved, and you're a child of God. But the most powerful force in your life that shapes you is what people are doing online. You are giving too much emotional real estate to people online you don't even know. And they're not even thinking about you. Just trying, not, didn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings there. But too many of God's people can't walk with God because of something somebody posted on Facebook. Some of you, you are being discipled by Fox News. Let me tick off the other half. You're being discipled by MSNBC. You know more of the Republican and Democrat talking points, and you cannot tell your friends the gospel. God help us. God help us if I can't go to Walmart right now and lead somebody to Jesus, but I can go to Walmart and talk about all the problems Joe Biden has. I can go to Walmart and talk about all the problems that Donald Trump has. God save the church. Amen? Right? Half of y'all just left. Half of y'all just left. And I just want to say, spirit of Babylon, some of you, some of you, I'm saying this out of love, some of you, you're being discipled by what your friends think. Or you're, you're being discipled 
but what your family thinks. You're being discipled by influencers online. You're, you're being discipled by this idea of what will help me fit in. Listen, you can be here as a follower of Jesus. You can be watching me online right now. You're a follower of Jesus, but that does not necessarily mean that the most powerful shaping force in your life is Jesus. Did, did that make sense? For real, tell me, because let's slow down. This is a big deal. You can be a follower of Jesus, and it does not mean at all that Jesus is the main shaping force in your life. You can, you can know Jesus. Watch this. You can know Jesus. You're really saved. You're really going to heaven, man. You're a child of God. But something else has your heart. Something else has your imagination. Something else shapes your values. I could keep going, but here's what's true for every person here and online. All of us are being discipled. I am. You are. Everybody is. Everybody online. All of us are being discipled. Something, someone is shaping us. That just brings me back to this question. Man, I've said this question so many times these past two years. I just can't stop thinking about it for me, for our church, and I've said it a bunch of times. I'm going to say it again this morning. Who are you becoming? Because you are becoming someone. And is the person you're becoming, does it look more like the kingdom of Babylon or the kingdom of God? Is the fruit coming out of your life look more like the fruit of Babylon or the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, church. Who? Who are you becoming? Are you thinking about what you're giving your attention to? Are you thinking about what you're giving your time to? What are you giving your heart to? What are you giving your mind to, teenagers? What are you giving your mind to, adults? When I got, I'm almost done. When I got saved, I was 18 years old, senior in high school, and I joined a youth group, and it was an amazing youth group. I joined it later. I was a senior, so I, I wasn't in it as long as, you know, say, a middle school student. But, man, it was so life-giving for me. It was just, man, it was an amazing experience being a part of this youth group. And my youth group that I was in, they did such a good job of talking to me about how I need to be careful about the music that I listen to about the movies that I watched. They, they did a great job, they really did, about helping me think about what I take in and what it does to me. Man, that youth group does a, did a great job of talking to me about things like sexual purity and, and holiness. And man, it was, it was just an amazing experience. But do you know what we didn't talk about a lot? We didn't talk about how if you're not careful, man, you can not watch R-rated movies and you can listen to the good music. But if you're not careful, there is a steady drip in this culture that is constantly going to tell you Jesus isn't that important. Everything else needs to be a priority except for the things of God. And if you're not careful, you can be a follower of Jesus, 
that looks and sounds just like every other American. And what the world needs when they look at the church is not to see a reflection of themselves. They need to see another kingdom. They need to see another way. The only way they can see that in me is if something that's not of this world is shaping me. The only way they can see that in us is if something not of this world is shaping us. So what is shaping you? I think if there's a word for summit, here we go, we're done. If there's a word for summit, day one of this series, it's this. Summit, come out of Babylon. Man, come out. Come out of Babylon. Babylon is falling. Remember when we did that in Revelation? Man, its days are numbered. The kingdom of God endures forever. There is life. There is joy in the kingdom. Summit, come out of Babylon. If something else has grabbed your heart today, Jesus is still alive. You're still here. There's still time. Come out. Something's grabbed your affections today. Come out and go to Jesus. Man, something is is just shaping you into something. Jesus didn't die for it. Instead of being formed in the image of Jesus, you're being deformed into the image of the world. Mark, what do I do? Oh, here's what you do. You come out. You come out. Because in Jesus is life. The ways of Babylon are right in contrast to the ways of Jesus. And so the ways of Jesus series that we just finished up, it's not a series that we can kind of walk away from and say, well, that was it. We will either make the way of Jesus our ways or the ways of Babylon our ways. And so what we're doing in this series is unpacking how do you follow Jesus in a post-Christian culture. And today was kind of an introduction. Hey, if you live in the Hazard Perry County area, you're not a part of a church, we want to invite you to join us Sunday, 930 or 11 in person. The live stream kicks off on Facebook and YouTube at 11. If you want to connect with us online, check out the show notes. And if you want to give, if this ministry has blessed you in any way, shape, or form, you can give. Links to do that are in the show notes. Hey, thanks for listening to the Summit Church Hazard Podcast. See you Sunday.